invite you guys to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're going to continue on our series in the book of Acts as we're looking at uh, to the nations. What does it look like as the church mobilizes, as the Holy Spirit sends the church out into the world? What does it look like? Uh, in honor of the uh, record-setting heat here in uh, North Texas this last week, I'll, I'll show you guys a story. Uh, I have a, a, a friend of mine who's an evangelist, and he loves when it gets hot. It's like his favorite time of year. Because what he'll do is he'll go down to the park, and he'll start talking to people, and he'll say, hey, if you think this is hot, I know a place. You know? And that's, that's how they'll start the conversation. And all that to say, you can start a gospel conversation however you want. right? Like You can take any conversation to the gospel. It might take a few steps. It might be a bit of a reach, but you can introduce the gospel in any conversation that you guys have. Acts chapter 16, that has nothing to do with uh, what we're talking about this morning at all, but it's just a fun story. So there you go. Acts chapter 16, uh, we're going to begin in verse 25 this morning. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. The jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Now let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let me pray for us. We'll get into the word this morning. Holy Father, thank you for your word, that it challenges us, that it instructs us, that it teaches us. God, most importantly, thank you that your word reveals to us the gospel, the good news of eternal life, salvation in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we know of the gospel because you have spoken to us the gospel in your word. And Father, we pray this morning that as we open up your word and we talk about what it means for our lives, we pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. God, you will open up our ears and we will be ready to hear whatever it is that you're telling us to do, whatever it is, however it is you're telling us to think, Father, and we would have a heart that is ready to apply it, God, that we, we wouldn't just want to hear it, we wouldn't just want to know it, but we would want to live it. Father, change us, shape us, mold us into the image of Jesus because of our time in the Word this morning. We love you, we praise you, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to Top Golf, uh, Top Golf, or something related to Top Golf. And uh, let me tell you, uh, I am horrible at golf. Like I am awful at golf. I'm an embarrassment to the sport of golf. I I can't hit a golf ball to save my life. So Top Golf is not usually the thing that I go to for fun. 
right? That's a group has decided to go, and I'm just along for the ride. Because when I get up there, uh, this one time, I have, a, I have a family member who is a really good golfer. Uh, at one point, wanted to teach golf lessons kind of professionally. That was what he wanted to do for his career. And so I went with him to top golf, and I got up, and I hit the ball, and it went straight to the right. He gives me some corrections. I hit the ball. I go straight to the left. He gives me some more corrections. I hit the ball. I go straight to the left. And I turn back, and he looks at me and goes, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're just... <laughs> You're just really bad at this. Like you're <laughs> it's just not good. So uh, if you don't know what top golf is, it's a driving range, multiple stories. And uh, what you do is you, you pay for time. You get like an hour. And you get up there. You wave your uh, club uh, in front of the sensor. It dispenses a golf ball. And you hit it out. And inside the ball are these sensors. It can tell you how far they hit it. And there are nets out in the, in the range. And you get extra points uh, by hitting it into different nets. So I don't get a lot of points. It doesn't happen very well. Um, I get like the little ones at front, but, but it's fun. It's a fun time. One time uh, when I was in high school, I went with a group of friends to go to Top Golf, and uh, I need all the help I can get. So when I was there, we, uh, our time was running short. We had a minute left, and so I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, if you guys have ever done this, but I decided that we were going to wave our, our club in front of the sensor to dispense as many golf balls as possible. <laughs> Uh, in that last minute so that we could just, you know, extend our time a little bit and I could hit a lot more golf balls because I'm really bad at it and I need the practice. And so we're sitting there like waving the golf club furiously in front of this dispenser, dispenser getting 20, 30 more golf balls. And the, uh, the guy that works at Top Golf, his name was Dan. And I don't know Dan. I don't know anything about Dan other than the fact that he works at Top Golf. But he walked up there uh, to us as a group and he said, hey, you guys can't do that. And I thought, Okay, I mean, if you're going to make a rule, it seems like the rule that they would make, so that's fine. We just, we'll just hit what's, what we have left. He said, once your time is up, you're done. It's like, all right. So we had about 30 golf balls left, about 15 seconds. Um, so I decided I couldn't, hit, I couldn't hit all of them, so I was just going to hit one or two more, right? And so, so I got a ball and put it on the tee. I was about to swing, and I hear Dan, who's still over my shoulder, like looking at me, which is a little intimidating. As somebody bad at golf, this guy works at Top Golf. He probably knows what he's doing, so he's probably judging me. But he looks over my shoulder, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm about to poorly hit a golf ball. What does it look like I'm doing? And he said, well, I said, when you're out of time, you're done. I'm like, well, we've got 15 seconds left, so I'm about to swing. And he walks up, and he kicks all of our golf balls <laughs> over the ledge. We're on the second story. All 30 golf balls. He just, in one swoop, which is really impressive, and in one swoop, just kicks all 30 golf balls over the ledge. And then he looks at me, and he goes, looks like you guys are out of time, and walked off. <laughs> and I was like, the nerve. Dan. Dan, what are you doing? And... <laughs> And I was, my, my gut reaction was to be mad, right? Like, the first instinct was, like, my rights as a customer have been violated. Like, I had 15 seconds. I should have been able to hit at least two or three more golf balls horribly. Like, let me be an embarrassment to the sport in the hour that I paid for. Um, and so my, that was my gut reaction. It was, like, to stand up for myself, to, like, assert my rights, to, to, to fight back and get mad and write a strongly worded letter about Dan to his bosses. Like, like that's my, my first reaction. And I know for some of you guys, like, as Americans, we're really big on our rights and our freedoms. And, and so you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it's ingrained in us that, that our first reaction, our gut instinct, is just to stand up for ourselves 
to assert our rights to defend our freedoms in whatever situation it is, whether it's on a big scale, on a government level of, of standing up for our rights and asserting our freedoms on a, on a political level, or just an individual level. How many of you guys have had a bad experience at a restaurant, right? And your first reaction is, I'm going to talk to your manager, right? Or you, you just make sure the waitress knows that this is not acceptable, right? How many of you guys have been cut off while driving and and this person has impeded your ability to get where you want to go at the speed you want to go, and you make sure that they know that you're upset, right? We naturally, like as Americans, as people who love our rights and our freedoms, we will naturally stand up and defend our rights, our freedoms, whether they're small scale, just in little re uh, interactions as a customer on the road, or big political scale. We want to defend ourselves, assert our rights, and secure our freedoms. That's our natural reaction. That's kind of what I would expect from Paul and Silas at this point in the story, at the beginning of Acts. If, where we, we pick up where we left off last week. And last week, Paul and Silas, they had made their way with a group, along with Timothy, Luke, a couple other people. They made their way to Philippi, a city there in uh, what is modern-day Greece. Uh, and they made their way to Philippi, and they started proclaiming the gospel there in Philippi. No one had proclaimed the gospel there before. And they, this woman named Lydia, she had placed her faith in Jesus. They've had some more people place their faith in Jesus. They started that church in Lydia's house. And so, so they'd only been there a few weeks, but people were coming to know Jesus. The gospel was being proclaimed. A church had been planted, uh, so things were going pretty well. And then these greedy slave owners whose business uh, and, and profits were being uh, hampered by Paul and Silas's ministry decided that they were going to take Paul and Silas out. So these slave owners dragged Paul and Silas before the rulers of the city and before this great crowd, and they threw racist insults at them. They threw misinformation at them to try to get the crowd riled up and to try to get the rulers to punish them, to kick them out, and maybe even kill them. And it worked. They drag Paul and Silas before the crowd. The crowd gets angry. The rulers of the city, they beat them with rods, and they throw Paul and Silas in prison. And that whole situation, on top of being unfair and unjust, is actually illegal under Roman law. Because under Roman law, you can't beat a citizen of Rome without them being convicted of a crime. And Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens. So again, on top of it being just unfair and unjust and, and a horrible situation, it was illegal. There, there were Paul and Silas sitting there in the middle of this dark, damp, dusty prison, having been beaten with rods illegally. And if, if we're, any of us are in that situation... Like, I, I would imagine yelling at the jailer, like, I need your badge number, I want to talk to your supervisor, get me a lawyer, like, get me out of here. This is illegal, this is wrong, just asserting our rights, defending ourselves. That would I, that's what I would expect from Paul and Silas. Right? Get me the magistrates, let them know we're Roman citizens, get us out of here. This is wrong, this is illegal. But, but notice what happens in verse 25. Notice how Paul and Silas actually respond to this imprisonment. Verse 25, it says, About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So they weren't asserting their rights. They weren't demanding their freedom. And, and though, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That, that's what I would assume is the best course of action. Demand your freedom, get out of there, uh, assert your rights. That's not necessarily a bad thing at all, but that's not the course that they choose to take. Instead, we see that they're sitting there in, at midnight where their feet fastened to stocks, having been beaten with rods. They're sitting there in prison and they are singing hymns to God. And they are praying uh, prayers to the Lord. Like, that's their response to this beating and imprisonment. Now, why did Paul and Silas choose to respond that way? 
Why didn't they stand up for themselves? Why didn't they assert their rights? Why didn't they demand that they get out of prison? Because again, they have every right to under Roman law. If they just demand to, to talk to the magistrates, let them know they're Roman citizens, then they're going to get released from prison. They have to be under Roman law. So, so why would they not just stand up for themselves? Instead, they're singing hymns and they're praying there in the middle of the prison. Well, look with me at the second part of the verse. They're praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were proclaiming the gospel in a city that had never heard the gospel before. The first church had just been planted a few weeks ago. They are just encountering the first few converts there in Philippi. So they know for a fact that most of the city of Philippi has never heard the gospel. They have never heard of salvation in Jesus. They do not have any hope. They are lost and dying and will spend forever separated from God in hell. They know that. And so here they are in a prison with a literally captive audience. And they have an opportunity to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. They have an opportunity to sing hymns before these prisoners, to pray before the Lord before these prisoners, and to share the gospel with these prisoners. So instead of standing up and demanding their rights and getting released, they decided to take this as a great opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the people around them, to make sure that these prisoners knew who Jesus was. Now look with me verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Now if you're Paul or Silas, you're sitting there unjustly imprisoned, illegally imprisoned, and you're praying to God, you're singing hymns, you're making the most of this, and then all of a sudden an earthquake happens to hit, and the doors of your prison happen to fall off, and your chains happen to break. Like That to me is a pretty clear sign, like get out. Like, God has rescued you. <laughs> this is clearly a divine act. Like what, On what other... Is it just happenstance, pure chance that the prison doors broke open and your chains broke off of you while you're praying to God unjustly in prison? Like, this is a great opportunity to just run, right? A hundred times out of a hundred. Whether you're guilty or not, you're sitting there in prison and the doors break off and your chains break off. Run, right? Get out. Uh, But again, for the second time, Paul and Silas don't do what you would assume they would do. They don't do the sane, rational thing of getting out. (laughs) Instead, when the prison doors break open and the chains break off of them, instead, Paul and Silas stay right where they are. And they, they lead all of the other prisoners to stay right where they are. Now, why, again, would Paul and Silas do this ridiculous thing of staying in prison when they're literally freed by God? (laughs) Like, why would they stay there? Because they know that if they leave, there's going to be a casualty. Paul and Silas have taken stock of their situation. They know that it's not a matter, it's only a matter of time before they're released. Right? Because they are illegally imprisoned. It's not going to hold up. It's only a matter of time. It could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years, but at some point, somewhere in their system of justice, they're going to get released from prison. They know that it's only a matter of time. So they could secure an early release today if they wanted to. But if they left right then and there when the doors had broken off and their chains had fallen off, there was going to be a casualty. Look back with me in verse 23. 
when they, that's the magistrates, the rulers of the city, when they had inflicted many blows on Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, again, under Roman law, if you as a jailer allowed your prisoners to escape, that was punishable by torture and execution. These, these prisoners, Paul and Silas included, were kept under the, the, the charge of the jailer, and if he let them go, if he allowed them to escape, it's his fault, and he could be killed. So Paul and Silas know if they get up and they get out, which again is not necessarily the wrong move. When, uh, when just a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 12, Peter was imprisoned. And when Peter was in prison, God sent an angel to the prison and he caused everybody to fall asleep. And he picked Peter up and he walked Peter out of the prison and he returned Peter to the church. And so just four chapters earlier, there's a prison break and Peter leaves. Peter doesn't stay in prison. He actually gets out. So that's not necessarily the wrong move. But here in this case, Paul and Silas, they know that if they leave, this prison, this jailer is going to be killed. So they stay. And they get all of the other prisoners to stay when they could leave. Verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So if you're a jailer and an earthquake hits your prison while you're asleep and the doors fall off and the chains break, like a hundred times out of a hundred, you know that those people are gone. <laughs> There's no chance that any of them are going to stay in prison willingly. Right? So this guy knows that he's done for. He's brought dishonor to himself. He has brought dishonor to his family by allowing these prisoners to escape. And he knows he's going to be tortured and executed by the Roman authorities. So he pulls out his sword and tries to do the, what he considers the honorable thing and, kill, and run himself through. And as he's just about to do it, he hears a voice from inside the prison. Verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Can you imagine... The, the confusion on the jailer's mind. Here, here he's about to kill himself because he knows that they're all gone. The prison has broken open. He's allowed all of his prisoners to escape. And as he's just about to kill himself, from inside the open prison door, there's a voice that says, hey, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't leave. We're all fine. And so he, he runs. Look with me in verse 29. He runs. Uh, and calls for lights, and he rushes in. It's too dark to see. He rushes in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So here he is, about to kill himself, because he knows these guys are all gone. And Peter and uh, Paul and Silas say, hey, we're, we're here. We're all here. None of us left. We all chose to stay. Don't harm yourself. He rushes into the prison, and he sees that they're all there. And they chose to stay when the doors were open and the chains were broken off. They chose to stay. They chose to give up their rights. They chose to give up their freedom so that he didn't die. And so he runs in there and, he, and he's trembling with fear and a, a, a strange mix of confusion and anxiety and stress and, and, and happiness. And he's, he bows down before Paul and Silas and he, he is just completely mesmerized by this event. Like, what would possess somebody to stay in prison when the doors were opened? Why would somebody not choose not to leave? And he says in verse 30, he brought them out of the prison and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So 
he falls down before Paul and Silas, just amazed that they would stay in the prison, and he begins to think about what he knows of Paul and Silas. He knows that they were arrested for proclaiming Jesus. He knows that they were arrested for, for telling about this salvation that comes from Jesus Christ, and he knows that while they were in prison, they were singing hymns to God, and they were praying to the Lord. So he knows that they're followers of Jesus, and he bows down before them, and he says, there's got to be something to this Jesus. There has to be something to this God. If it would cause Paul and Silas to lay down their rights, to lay down their freedoms so that I could live, there has to be something to this Jesus. He pulls them out of prison and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to know this Jesus that you know? What do I have to do to have the eternal life that you experience? What do I have to do to have this experience with God that is so powerful it led you to stay in prison for my life? What do I have to do to be saved? In verse 32, excuse me, verse 31, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, this, uh, the household of the jailer had, had joined them for this conversation. We don't really know when they came in, but, but I like to think that that while they're sitting there in the prison and, and the, the jailer is trembling before Paul and Silas, he says, wait right here, and runs and grabs all of his family like, you guys need to hear this. And he drags them in there and he pulls out Paul and Silas and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas looking at him and his entire family says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And that's true for you, it's true for your entire family. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Did you notice how simple that is? Just how simple of a command Paul and Silas gave. They didn't say, check off all these boxes of, of religious works and duties and you'll be saved. He didn't say, go to church, join our, join our church and you'll be saved. He, he didn't say, get baptized and you'll be saved. He didn't say, follow this Old Testament law, here are all the rules to live a moral and godly life, like make sure you do all of these and then you'll be saved. He says, believe in the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. Place your faith in Christ and his death and resurrection for your salvation and you will be saved. There's no amount of religion that would have led Paul and Silas to pray and to sing hymns while they were imprisoned unjustly and to stay in prison when the doors were open. There's no amount of religion that could lead them to do that. There's no amount of rule following and moral living that would lead Paul and Silas to stay when their freedom was offered. There's no amount of religious devotion. There's no amount of, of, of checking off boxes and doing good things. There's no amount of morality that would lead Paul and Silas to stay in prison when the freedom was guaranteed to them. Instead, because they had faith in Jesus, Jesus changed them from the inside out. They were made alive because of Jesus. They had eternal life and salvation, and it changed them and gave them the freedom and the ability to see the situation and to stay in prison to give up their rights and their freedom so that this guy could live so that the prisoners around them could hear the gospel, and so that this guy, this jailer, could live and could hear the gospel as well. And the prisoner pulls him out and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And just a simple answer, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus. What they, told, they, what they go on to tell him in verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. Now what that, what that means clearly and simply is they spoke the gospel. The good news of eternal life in Jesus, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, the Son of God, lived a perfect life 
And he died a death on a cross so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. Then he rose again from the grave three days later and is alive today, seated at the right hand of God, so that you and I could follow him, that we could have eternal life and and the presence in the kingdom of God. That is the good news of eternal life. That is the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus. And so Paul and Silas, they spoke the word of God. They spoke the gospel to this family. And look what happens in verse uh, 33. He, the, the, the jailer, he took Paul and Silas that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So this jailer who, who had just moments ago was going to take his life because he thought that the prisoners had escaped now has the joy of eternal life in Jesus. And you see that this is really a changed man. This is a changed heart because he took Paul and Silas out and instead of fastening their feet in stocks and and, and inflicting more punishment and more pain on them. Instead, he took them out and he washed their wounds and he did the best that he could to try to heal Paul and Silas and to to mend uh, their their broken physical bodies. And then he put food in front of them when they hadn't eaten in a long time. And he did all of these things because he was a changed man. He had placed his faith in Jesus and the same change that happened to Paul and Silas has happened to him. He had gone from death to life. He had experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of his sins, and he had had eternal life. He had been completely changed. And he immediately went and got baptized, him and his whole family. What baptism is is a symbol to say, I am a follower of Jesus. This is what God has done in my life. I have gone from death to life. I am washed completely clean. I am a brand new man. It is a symbol that says, I am a Christian, and you can hold me to that. So him and his entire family get baptized. And again, I love this verse 34. He brought them up uh, at the end of verse 34. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Like there was joy that he had placed his faith in Jesus. There was joy that he'd encountered eternal life. There was joy that he'd finally found salvation in Jesus Christ. All of that happened because Paul and Silas were willing to give up their freedoms to lay down their rights so that these prisoners and this jailer could hear the gospel. I want you to hear me again very clearly. There's nothing wrong with asserting your rights, securing your freedoms. There's nothing wrong with that. We see this going on in verse 35. When it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, Excuse me, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. So here is an example of Paul asserting his rights. Just a few verses later, the next part of the story, they're sitting there in prison, a lot more comfortable now because the jailer knows they're not going to run. Uh, and, and the magistrates, the rulers of the city, send their, their kind of secret spies into the, into the jail. And they say, hey, the, the magistrates want you gone. Like they, they, want you, they want you to get out. And it's kind of this secret, like, shuffling them out of the prison and out of the city. And Paul and Silas know that if that goes through, if that takes place, and they quietly leave the city being shuffled out by the magistrates, then the church that they started there is left in a perpetual state of fear. Because right now, the church that they just started with 
with brand new Christians is terrified because the people that started their church, Paul and Silas, have been dragged in front of a crowd, have been beaten by the rulers and thrown into prison. And so the church is terrified. And they know that if they go through just secretly running out of prison and leaving the city and never talking to anybody again, they know that that church has no hope of surviving. They are frustrated and terrified, and the chances of someone placing their faith in Jesus in this state of, of confusion and terror is slim. So they stand up and say, no, we're not going to do that. You're going to let us out uh, because we are Roman citizens. You're going to come get us yourselves. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Again, it's illegal for them to beat and imprison a Roman citizen without them being condemned of a crime. And uh, verse, he says they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So, so the magistrates come up to them, the rulers of the city, they let them out of prison personally. They say, we're really sorry about this whole thing. It's a bit of a mix-up. Are bad, uh, and they, they let them go freely. They ask them, it'd be really nice, <laughs> things are a little tense, could you please leave the city? Uh, but they let them go. Publicly, the leaders of the city are the ones letting Paul and Silas out of prison. Now that gives hope to that church, that, that, the, that the government's not going to crack down and squash them, <laughs> that they're not going to allow crowds to get up and to, to destroy the church. That gives hope to this church seeing the government officials let Paul and Silas out. They let them out, and that's where Paul and Silas, they go immediately, verse, 30, verse 40. They went out of prison and visited Lydia, that first convert where the church meets in her house. They visited Lydia. They had seen the brothers. They supported the Christians there in the city, and then they obliged, and they left the city. So they asserted their rights, but they asserted their rights for the same reason they abandoned their rights earlier. It's because they wanted the gospel to go forth. They wanted the kingdom of God to expand. They wanted people to know Jesus. They wanted to see people have salvation. And so they, they laid down their rights and they laid down their freedom so that the prisoners around them and the jailer of that, of that jail could know Jesus. And then later on, they asserted their rights so that the city would know, God, would know Christ through the church that they'd planted. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Promoting uh, salvation is more important than securing your rights. So Paul and Silas knew, and so you and I need to know, promoting salvation, advancing the gospel, is more valuable than making sure that you're comfortable, that your rights are observed, and that your freedoms are intact. Again, your rights, your freedoms, it's not a bad thing. St stand up for them. I, I praise God that we live in the United States where we have the, the Bill of Rights baked into our Constitution. We have men who have, who have fought and died to secure the rights and the freedoms that we have. Praise God for that. Like, praise God for religious freedom and, and for the rights of life and liberty. Like, like, praise God for those things. Those things are honoring to God because they're just. And God loves justice and he hates injustice. So stand up for rights. Praise God for those things. But promoting salvation is more important. This is what we need to hear this morning. Two things we do for, from this. Number one, know the mission. Recognize what your mission is. It's too many of us, our mission in life is to make sure that we're comfortable. 
to make sure that everything goes according to our plan, to make sure that, that everything uh, is, is exactly how we want it. And so when, uh, when our rights are infringed, when, when our freedoms are taken away, when, when someone comes against us and does something against us that we don't like, we immediately stand up against it because our goal is comfort. Our goal is our own success and our own life exactly how we want it. That's the way that we want things. But our mission as Christians is not to make sure that everybody knows what our rights are and nobody tramples on them. Our mission as Christians is to see people come to know Jesus. The thing that we want to see is the people around us know what it means to follow Jesus and have a relationship with him. Because when we're standing before the throne of God, it's not going to matter to me that Dan kicked the golf balls off of the top golf thing. That's not going to cross my mind. It's not going to matter that you had a bad restaurant experience. It's not going to matter that someone cut you off on the road. It's not going to matter that you were imprisoned for your faith. And it's not going to matter that you were martyred and killed for your faith if it comes to that. None of those things are going to matter when you're standing before the throne of God. What's going to matter is if there's people around you. If you have brought anybody else with you. Our mission and our goal is not to make sure that our life is comfortable. It's not to make sure that things are going exactly how we want. Our mission is to see people come to know Jesus. Like our church, we are a family of faith living for eternity today. We're not living for today. We're not living to make ourselves comfortable. We're not living to make sure that our rights are not infringed. We are living for things that are going to matter forever. And what's going to matter forever is whether people know Jesus. Know the mission. Recognize what's important. The mission is to know whether people know Jesus. And with that, the second thing that we need to do is reprioritize our values. We need to recognize what it is that we value and, and the order at which we value it, and, and we need to reprioritize it. Because again, right now, for a lot of us, our, the thing that we value most is our comfort. The thing that we value most is our rights and our freedoms and making sure that nobody infringes those. And, and as I've said it several times, I want you to hear it very clearly. There's nothing wrong with valuing your rights and your freedoms. And we're standing up for them. But that can't be the most valuable thing. That cannot be at the top of the list. Because that's not going to matter forever. We need to reprioritize our values and make sure that the gospel is at the very front. That our Christ-likeness and our righteousness they're there at the top. Our relationship with the Lord is the thing that drives us and guides us. And that knowing whether or not the people around us know Jesus is what guides us and drives us. Like Those are the things that are most important. Those are the things to value. Like Our rights and our freedoms have to be below that. Reprioritize your values. Take view of them. Take hold of them. And make sure that what you're viewing as the most valuable thing in your life, the thing that drives you, is the thing that's most important, and that's Jesus. Again, my hope and my prayer for every single one of you is that you will stand before the throne of God as somebody who, who has experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, someone who, who has eternal life, someone who knows, like the Philippian jailer, the joy of believing in God, that you will stand before the throne and that you can look around and see the people that you've influenced, that you can look around and see the people that you've shared the gospel with. You can look around and see the people who are there with you because you've shared the gospel with them, because you thought it was important and valuable to tell them about Jesus. 
even if it means inconvenience for you, even if it means laying down a right or a freedom, whatever it means, crossing any barrier, any divide, to go share the gospel with somebody. That, my prayer for you is that you will stand before the throne and you will look around and see a whole crowd of people who are there because you were brave enough and bold enough to share the gospel with them because you valued it highly enough. And that's my prayer for us. That we as a church will have an oversized impact on the kingdom of God because, because we are taking people with us. We are sharing the gospel. We think it's important. And we are seeing people come to know Jesus in our community and all around the world. That's my prayer for us as individuals and my prayer for us as a church. Some of you this morning, you don't need to reprioritize the gospel. You don't need to proclaim the gospel. What you need is to believe the gospel. You don't need to proclaim salvation. The thing that you need is to place your faith in Jesus and receive salvation. You do not know what it's like to be this Philippian jailer here who is rejoicing before God because you know that you believe in him and have eternal life from him. So this morning, what the word of God is calling you to do is to believe in the Lord Jesus so that you'll be saved. It's to place your faith and your hope and your trust in him and to receive the eternal life that he freely offers. The word of God is not commanding you to clean yourself up. It is not commanding you to, to get in church a certain number of times before you apply for salvation. Right? It's not commanding you to, to make sure that you're living this perfect life and, and, and being as good and moral as you possibly can be so that you can impress God and then maybe he'll give you salvation. What the word of God is calling you to do and commanding you to do and imploring you to do is to believe in Jesus so that you will be saved. Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins and he rose again so that you can have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. And as we're singing, I'm going to be standing right here. If that's you this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, do not leave this morning without knowing what it's like to trust in him, without knowing what it's like to experience eternal life. I'm going to be standing right here. And as we sing, what I'm going to invite you to do is just to come up here. I would love to pray with you briefly. And there are people that would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. If that's you, while we sing, I invite you to come. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the good news of eternal life that comes from Jesus. I thank you for the salvation that comes from Christ, that, that the salvation that we couldn't earn on our own. The salvation that we don't need to, to, to meet any requirements for, we don't need to check any boxes for, uh, but a, a salvation, an eternal life that is freely given because, through faith in Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he willingly gave up his rights, he willingly gave up his freedom, he willingly gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. God, I pray if there's anybody here, those here that do not know you and have not experienced eternal life, God, I pray this morning would be the morning that they go from death to life, that this morning would be the morning when they experience the gospel, that they know what it's like to have the grace of God wash over them, to know what it's like to know your love and your peace and your joy, God, that they would be alive this morning. God, I pray that we as a church would want that for everybody around us. God, we would value that above all else, that we would long for the people around us to know you, to know the joy and the life and the grace that you provide. God, I pray that we as a church would prioritize that, that we would make that our mission to go proclaim the gospel. No matter what the cost. 
love you. We praise you, and it's in the precious, holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.